Small businesses are crucial to our economy, but often overlooked as investment opportunities. Mainvest wants to change that. Discover how you can invest with impact and receive quarterly returns. Get $20 toward your first investment when you sign up at mainvest.com slash podcast. Mainvest is a licensed funding portal that offers investments under regulation crowdfunding and not a broker-dealer or investment advisor. Mainvest does not provide any investment legal, tax, or accounting advice. All of the investment opportunities on Mainvest contain risk. Investors should not invest more than they can afford to lose. Well, hello, friends. All right, let's do it. Oh, 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 episode 34. We are at episode 34. And guess what we have today on the actual podcast? We have Adina Mignona on the podcast. Adina Mignona is a special, special, special guest who is a physicist and an astronomer. And she also works on satellites. Yeah, she's an aerospace software engineer and manager. That's right. We're going to talk about robots, aliens, artificial intelligence, computers, ooh, exoplanets, Mars, virtual reality, and robots, and more. And about her crazy book. She's also an author. Forgot to mention she's an author. Well, hey, guys, don't forget to spread the word, spread the podcast, check out the YouTube channel. You got to go check out the YouTube channel. Also, subscribe to it. Show some love. Spread this around to your friends. And, you know, always rate five on the actual podcast. Yeah, let's go. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, the Kids in the Room podcast. The kids in the Room podcast. That's right. That's right. Brought to you by Blue Faces. Check it out. Let's go. Woo! All right, all right, all right. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Kids in the Room podcast. Today, we've got Adina Minona on the actual show. Did I say that right or did I butcher it? Did I butcher it? Close. It was close. very, very close. Minona. 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 Adina Mignona. All right, cool. So, what, what's going on? Tell us about tell us about yourself. What do you do? What's your uh, what's your magic? You know, specialty. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, well, I'm a, a sort of a scientist and engineer. I have some uh, you know degrees in science, but I spend my days working on satellites, and I spend my nights, well, really, really early, super early mornings, writing science fiction. And I've written a book called Crazy Foolish Robots. And I love talking about science and science fiction with anybody who will <laughs> talk to me about that stuff. Yeah, that's crazy. So you you work as what again? Say that one more time. As an, I'm an engineer in aerospace. I work on satellites. That is amazing. How did you get in that? Well, it's something that I, I always wanted to do since I was really young. I, I grew up in the 80s. So those of us who are from the 80s remember all the space shuttle missions and getting really excited about that. And I was, and so I wanted to, uh, partly because of my love of just what was going on in the space and partly because of my love of science fiction, I wanted to go into the space industry and do cool things. Uh, and so that the short version of the story is that's what I did. <laughs> the long version of the story is like all the, you know, academic hurdles and the different jobs I had, you know, to, to get there. Right. So you, uh, yeah, the academic hurdles. So you always, so you, you work on satellites, correct? Mm-hmm. So you work yes. on satellites and how you, how, how did you begin to be able to work on satellites? I'm, I'm still trying to gravitate towards that logic of like, I'm a kid. Yeah. I grew up in the eighties and I <laughs> wanted to work on satellites. Like how do we get there? Well, you know, so the, think about uh, some of the, the missions that have like always been in the news, or at least when I was a kid, were in the news, like Hubble space telescope Hubble launched when I was in in high school. So uh, that's, you know, some, some big fantastic satellite. And then we also had sent uh, 
Magellan that was a mission to Venus. And of course, they were planning some of the early Mars missions. So I was aware of that. And that was kind of the stuff that I thought that I, I wanted to do. And I got very lucky in a, a few different ways. Um, while I was earning my degree, I did get to work on stuff that we were building that was going to go in space. I was going to work on, I was working on science, different science instruments for NASA missions. And then immediately after college, well, I thought I was going to go to graduate school right away, but about two months before graduating, I woke up in a panic attack. Like, oh my God, I can't go to graduate school right now. I can't deal with two more years of classroom work. I need to go out and, and work work. But then I was like, oh my God, I, I need a job. And I didn't know the first thing about really looking for like a real job in the real world and wound up taking the first one that was offered to me, which was to do satellite operations at Goddard Space Flight Center. So if you've ever watched, um, if anyone's seen a on TV, you see like a NASA, a launch, like a shuttle launch, or even in the movies, you see something where you see a room of people and like rows of computers. Um, so those are the, the operators. And that was what I, I did originally when I first graduated from school. And then from there, just kind of moved back into like, well, how do we build this stuff? And, and I've spent most of my career doing like software parts of that. Uh, like, so making the software that they used to control the satellites and then working on the satellites themselves, which awesome. is what I do now. <laughs> Amazing. So you work on the soft, you work on the software. Are you a engineer mm -hmm. or developer? Or like uh, what, do you, what kind of software do you work on? How are so, you working on that? Yeah. So uh, it's a combination of things. Like I, my original degree from school was in physics, but I always programmed. I was that kid who had happened to have a computer and happened to learn how to program. And yeah, I wound up doing that for, for many years, but then eventually got a computer science master's degree, but that was like long after I had been already doing, doing the work. Um, and, but, uh, but these days I'm not doing programming so much anymore. That's just because I've gotten older and uh, I now lead teams. So I do, I, I really help the team of people get stuff done as opposed to do it myself. So I don't actually program a lot, you know, hands on keyboard myself anymore. Um, and right now, I'm what we call the lead systems engineer of the satellite mission I work on, which really means is I help keep it all together. And I help make sure all the, you know, the 60, 70 people who are working on the overall satellite, they're all working together towards the same goal with the, you know, knowing the same stuff. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. So you, you, you started out you, and you were, you were, you know, obviously during that time, there weren't that many women that would probably say that were in mm -hmm. the actual you know, field that you're in. How did you, how did you deal with that? Like, what was that like? It, it's weird because it wasn't for me a thing. It was, you know, it was obvious that a lot of the time I was the only woman in the room. I was the only technical woman in the room. That was most of my career up until the last couple of years. That was, that was true. And for me, I, I'm very fortunate in that I worked with some great people and it, it wasn't a big deal. No one cared. <laughs> Like they knew what I brought to the table and that was really what was all that was important. And I'm very fortunate because I have friends of mine in other companies, locations, uh, things that, that were not as fortunate as me and ran into a lot of issues along the way. So for me, it was just, okay, this is just the way it is. Um, and, you know, I, a lot of my friends had always been guys too, I guess, because, you know, we, we shared similar interests. So like I said, I was very lucky that I didn't run into any particular roadblocks. But these days, it's wonderful because it's very much opened up, and we've we've got everybody, and uh, and it's exciting because there's a lot of you know new people and and new 
ideas and new visions and just new ways of doing things or thinking about things that are that are all coming in, which is fantastic. Because um, yeah, so now I work with everybody. Because <laughs> now now there is everybody. Yeah, yeah, cool. So you uh, you, you gotten this, and you know, earlier on, and where you are right now, you're building satellites, and then you also like you also work on robots or like, how does that, cause you said you had a book, right? About robots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What well, is the that? book, it's a, it's a science fiction novel and with featuring a lot of robots, because in addition to space, uh, robots was one of my other technical loves. Although I maintain that a satellite really is a robot in space. Um, if we think of a robot as something that we basically program to go out and do something for us, that, that is what a satellite that is what a satellite is. You know, we have the Hubble Space Telescope. We've programmed it to go out and take pictures. And um, we might update that program every day or several times a day, you know, take a picture here, take a picture there. But that's that's really what it is. It's a robot in space. So, uh, yeah, so I've had a love of robots for pretty much my entire life. And that extends to, I do some hobbies with with robots. Um, of course, again, the, my my work, being with satellites, which again, I maintain are robots. And then, so in science fiction, I love, <laughs> I love reading about robots, watching them, you know, from Star Wars, R2-D2 and C-3PO were my, my first robot loves. And so then, yep, I love writing about them too. That's amazing. Writing about robots, love mm-hmm. and robots. Do you believe there's going to be love and robots between humans and... I don't and, know. And, 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 <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a long, long way away, <laughs> if ever. <laughs> Love and Robots. That sounds like a new reality TV show. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Probably get picked up by MTV. Yeah. So you, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, so like, are you also interested in like, cause like, I guess what I'm saying is like, really, I want to back, take a steps back. Mm-hmm. And Right now, who do you, do you work for? A satellite company? Do you work for NASA? Mm-hmm. Like, who do, you, who do you work for? Can you say so that? Yeah. I can say I, I work for Northrop Grumman. Um, which, which most people know Northrop Grumman is a large, uh, you know, defense contractor and, and Northrop does a ton of stuff. Uh, the way I start, I, I worked for them was actually the company I had worked previously. We were acquired by Northrop a couple years ago. So the company I used to work for, we, we pretty much did satellites and, and rockets. And now we do it under the umbrella of Northrop Grumman. And, uh, so if any time anyone sees us in the news with related to the space stuff that we do, we are one of the companies that send supplies to the International Space Station a few times a year, uh, which is awesome. We are also the company that built the James Webb Space Telescope, which is one of the replacements to Hubble that's launching later this year, uh, which I'm very, very, very excited about that. It's going to be a fantastic mission. Um, and then the mission that I work on right now is about satellite servicing. Um, you know, there are a lot of satellites up there and it's becoming more uh, cost efficient to service it rather than completely replace it. You know, a lot of the satellites that that are part of our day to day life that we don't really think about are the ones that provide you know a lot of our communication services, um, and they're out, up there. You know, we we built them for like to last for ten or fifteen years, and the big thing that limits them is how much fuel they can carry because they need fuel to stay in their position. Well, it's becoming more cost efficient to send a little satellite up to attach it to the satellite and basically extend its life by having more fuel. And so that's the, the kind of stuff that I work on right now. They don't use like a solar power 
Like, why do they need fuel? They do. I mean, so they do. Um, the solar power is how they just get power, but the fuel is, so if you have a, a satellite that needs to stay where it is uh, in its in its position, it has thrusters and the thrusters keep it from moving because if you don't do anything, it'll drift out of alignment and it'll drift off to where somewhere else. So it actually, it's, it's thrusters that, that keep it in its little box of where it should be. Right. That's awesome. So how do how how does a satellite stay within the, you know, the vicinity of the, you know, earth, you know, without it like just <laughs> drifting off? Is it only because of the rockets? Like how does that happen? Well, so that's a that's a great great question and the to start to understand that um it really is all about gravity and and orbits and where a satellite is. Um one of the I think the easiest ways to think about it a little bit is the International Space Station which is really only a, a couple hundred miles above the surface of the earth. And it's in literally in, in orbit and it needs thrusters too. So it doesn't, um, you know, we're not worried about them flying off. We're worried about them coming, you know, like their orbit getting too low and, and re-entering um, the atmosphere. So uh, a lot of satellites in what we call low earth orbit, we, we keep those thrusters to keep the orbit, you know, to keep them, you know, from degrading to keep it from, you know, coming down into the atmosphere and burning up. Wow. Uh, so, but that's just one type of orbit and one kind of type of thing that we have to consider. Uh, a lot of other missions are what we call geosynchronous satellites. And those are the ones that give us, you know, our direct TV or dish TV or communications um, and some of our weather satellites. And they're at a location much further out. They're still technically they're in orbit around earth, but such that if I'm, let's say I'm, I'm standing, well, I, I live in Maryland and so I'm, I'm here. And let's say from here, I can see one of these satellites from my position. It looks like that satellite isn't moving, although it's moving the same way, you know, the earth is rotating. That satellite is rotating at the same rate as we are. So it looks like from here that it's staying put. But in order to really stay put, like I said, we need a little bit of that thruster to keep it where it is. Because if we did nothing, there's other forces. There's solar wind that would actually have enough pressure to move it around and and stuff. <laughs> so it's very complicated. There's all different kinds of orbits um, that different satellites are in. There's, you know, I just talked about two of the most common, but there's like really like elongated orbits and other kinds of crazy orbits. <laughs> Why do you need different, you know, types of orbits? Why not just one? Well, the some of the low Earth orbits uh, means that, you know, if you, you need to be close down, let's say some of the missions I used to work on were ones that take pictures of the Earth. And, well, we need that camera to be kind of close to get a good picture. And you want it to get to be able to to get. um the way we, we go around the earth is so you can get pictures of any part of the planet over the course of a couple of days. You can't do that from far out, but from far out, the geosynchronous ones, you can, if I'm that satellite, if I'm like that, that satellite TV uh, satellite, then I can actually see like all of North America from the vantage point, as opposed to just a teeny little bit. So there's, depending on the satellite, there's different reasons. A lot of science missions need to be a little further away from the Earth to just get away from Earth. Um, James Webb Telescope will be one of those. Uh, 
you know, Earth is a big light source and heat source and all this for satellites. And you want to get away from that, some missions. So it, it's all mission dependent. Um, there's so many different reasons. <laughs> wow. That's pretty deep. So when, you, when we're thinking about, you know, space travel and, you know, fuel, how does any of your work, you know, how does it, how does it kind of connect with any of the future um, types of uh, explorations that we plan when it comes to like Mars and, you know, moon, the moon's occupation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not, uh, I'm personally not working on these projects, but my company, uh, you know, Northrop Grumman, along with a lot of other space companies, we are all doing different, uh, you know, helping to implement NASA's vision for the return to moon to go to the Mars. Um, they have a, a new space station that they're planning. And so several, several companies, including mine are part of that. And so, yeah, so we're going to be, I, I would just say generally, um, a part of anything that goes you know, goes into the future like that, especially, you know, with NASA, which is also a big international effort as well. Um, NASA is very committed to, this isn't just a U.S. thing. This is a whole, this is an everybody thing. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, so, so now that we're talking about, you know, we've got, we've got, uh, we've got these, you know, uh, NASA is getting involved more with the, uh, this, with more, you know, the future space occupation of like Mars and moon and things like that. I thought Mars, I thought uh, NASA was out of the game. I thought it was just, you know, Tesla's, you know, I mean, sorry, sorry, SpaceX, excuse me. Did I say that? Sorry. SpaceX. And, uh, uh, what was, uh, and also Richard Branson's company and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Jeff Bezos company. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, it's everybody, which is fantastic because, you know, it's it's expensive for the government to do this, of course. So the fact that we also have these other companies that they're willing to spend their own money to also advance the technology and help push us, I, I'm all for all of it. And I think there is room, there's literally space for everybody <laughs> um, because there's just so many different things to to do and to see. And I think we we help you, you know we help each other because there's all kinds of technology that needs to get invented. Um, and I think just so much going into it. I like to think that all of this is motivating. I'm hoping that, you know, the folks that are, you know, like 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and might start be thinking about, well, what am I going to do with my life? I'm hoping that any of this gets them excited into the possibilities for the future. And again, whether it's through, uh, you know, a completely private commercial company like SpaceX or Blue, or whether it's through NASA, I mean, there's so much to do. <laughs> there's so much to consider in in all kinds of different fields. Like I, I mentioned, you know, I've really focused on a lot of the software in my career, but there's all kinds of engineering and and beyond even the very technical engineering stuff to make this all work. There's everything else. I mean, we have, we have accountants, right? We have, um, you know, everyone else who's helping us get this done. And the more people that are excited about doing it, you know, I don't, I don't want just an accountant working on my project. I want the accountant who's also excited that this is space, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the things uh, that are needed to be solved? You mentioned some things oh, that need to be solved. What are some of them? I think one of the big ones is just how are humans going to survive? Uh, one of the big challenges is out in space, there's a lot of radiation. And how are they going to survive the radiation? I think that's probably uh, one of the biggest ones. Uh, others that what are some of the problems that may have you know stop us from surviving like what are the limitations of some of those do you can you mention some of those before you dig into the other um 
So I'm not, this is where I'm not a, a super expert in, you know, this is going into more of the biological and human medical stuff that I is a little bit outside my, my area of expertise, but you know, radiation will kill us. <laughs> um, you know, radiation does cause cancer and does cause all kinds of bad things to happen to our bodies. So, um, yeah, that, that's the level of my, my knowledge, you know, radiation is bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, well, I, I guess going like, what are some of the other mm -hmm. uh, problems that kind of high level that you need to solve besides that? Since I, I know you're not like an expert in, oh, sure, in the biological sure. perspective. Yeah, the, so yeah. Yeah. Some of the other ones are definitely a little bit easier <laughs> for me to talk about. Uh, you know, one of the big ones I think is just having enough, you know, power on, on Mars, you know, where, so here, right. We, we do use things like solar arrays and such, but to really generate a, a good quantity of power, when you're out at Mars, you're much further from the sun than you are here. And so the amount of sunlight you get, it's just less. And then down on Mars itself, you're in a different atmosphere than we are here. So again, that all interferes with how much sunlight we're getting. So the same like solar panel that I might have here on my lawn and then my back, you know, or on my roof isn't going to generate the same amount of power on Mars. So we still have a lot of work to do in those kinds of, of technologies to make it good and efficient and yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot to, yeah. yeah, so uh, basically, we have some power issues on Mars. We also have some mm -hmm. other thing about like, I, I think we talked about. Uh, well, I think there's some talk about like how do we, how do we, um, how do we make Mars or terraform Mars, you know, to be closer to our planet, you know. Well, and then there's going to be the debate: Should we terraform Mars? I mean, like, is that the thing that we should really be doing? Um, you know, there's definitely going to be people who think, yep. Let's let's terraform Mars, and there are going to be people who who think no, we sh we need to leave Mars as as is. It's not necessarily our place to terraform it. So, and this is one of the things where I really like the intersection of science and science fiction, um, because then we can think like really beyond this, where you know Mars is is really within our reach. Uh, we're going to, we're going to absolutely see people on Mars in our lifetime. And we, we might even see like a little colony on Mars, you know, start in our lifetime. But I'm, I'm a firm believer that to make real, I guess, advancement or progress in becoming a species that lives beyond earth, we, we do need to go further outside our solar system and look for other planets and look for not necessarily terraform a planet, because that might just be too much effort, but look for another planet that could support us naturally. Um, and then the, to me, this is where then it's fun to think about that in science fiction, but then we'll hopefully motivate the next generation or two of people to go out there and make it happen. You know, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. But, but space is scary, man. You know, it's scary. Yeah. You know, never been, but I, I can understand when I first got on an airplane, there was this, this weird feeling where it's like you look down and everybody's really just ants. You know, people mm -hmm. really aren't as big as we think we are. We, and you start thinking like, well, shit, do we matter really? You know, do yeah. we really matter that much as we think we matter? Like, I don't know. You start second thinking everything you, you've, you've thought of in your life, you know, because in your body mm -hmm. and in your, you know, when you're within yourself, you feel bigger, even when you're walking mm -hmm. around. But then when you're up in, you know, up in the sky, you're on an airplane, you're looking down, you're really like, well, shit, man, I mean, we're, we're really not that. I don't know, man. Are we important? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. It's it's kind of a, I don't know. It's a. They it, can get very depressing if you go along those lines of thoughts too too much. But yeah, but there's a lot of scary things out there. I mean, I've been out on, you know, you think about being out in the ocean. It's kind of, it's, it's in some similar. ways the same thing. You know, you look out and you see nothing 
anywhere and it's it's very isolating and, and it's very uh, powerful because the ocean can kill you. <laughs> <laughs> or something else in there can kill you, you know, the difference or something is, in the ocean can get, you know, right. yeah, there's a lot of scary things out there. Yeah. I mean, and, and we haven't, you know, and, and, you know, you work on satellites, you know, mm -hmm. have you ever, have you guys ever found anything that was, you know, interesting, right? Something that was different that you guys couldn't really figure out what the hell is this? Mm, not in my own, my, not in my own direct experience. No, not really. Cause uh, you know, from what I'm doing, we're, we're doing pretty straightforward engineering. We're not doing, um, no research pictures, no or that kind of, of things. No, no pictures of aliens. No nothing. No, no pictures nothing? of aliens. <laughs> no three no. men with five arms. I mean, are they, you know, no nothing. Nope. No, no good stuff. But those are all great science fiction stories. <laughs> ah, so would you say that you know that the aliens might be science fiction? Uh no. I, I'm I'm definitely a believer that somewhere out there in the humongous universe that we live in, you know, humongous galaxy in the humongous universe, there is something out there. Whether or not that something is is related to us or not related, I mean, similar enough that we could actually possibly have a conversation or relate to them in some way. Uh, whether or not we'll find out in my lifetime, we probably won't. Uh, something is out there. Something is you know, out there. I think it was. Carl, well, yeah, I think it was a Carl Sagan who liked to say uh, in in the movie Contact and in the book Contact, if it's just us, then, you know, this is a big waste of space. <laughs> right. And I like that. I like that. Yeah, I mean, if it's just us, this is a big waste of space. But at the same time, mm -hmm. if it's just if, – if it's just not us or if it is just us, like why, why have – it is such a waste of space if there is something like that. But also, like, why would we exist out of everything else? I don't know. That's why I don't think it's just us. It just doesn't make sense. The more you keep on digging, mm -hmm. goes in a loop of mm -hmm. circle of like, well, what the hell's going on? You know, yeah. I think that's why I like, yeah. I like earth, right? Cause earth just seems mm -hmm. simple. And the more you think <laughs> about things, you know, and, and the more you, you feed yourself more information, the more you start questioning everything and you just end up with these roadblocks. Mm -hmm. Cause you're like, okay, so let's say, you know, we go to, you know, Mars, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, we try to terraform that. Then we need to go to another planet and we need to do this and we need to do that. And then you start thinking like, well, shit, you know, now we're on Mars. You know, were we ever on Mars, you know, previously in the past? And we just screwed up mm -hmm. Mars and just terraformed Earth, you know? I mean, and then we forgot everything mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever might have possibly could have happened in the past. Some people just left. I mean, you can go, you can go wild about it if you really want to think mm -hmm. about it. Like, I mean, you grew yep. up, you, you grew up in the 80s. You probably watched some 80s cartoons like Thundercats. And they had mm -hmm. similar, like, you know, plots like that. And it's like, how far is that is, like, from fiction of some sense? Like, you know, I know we don't see any, you know, you know, uh, buildings and things like that on Mars. We haven't discovered anything else like that. But, like, if a, if a civilization did live there, um, it probably would have been, you know, millions or millions or maybe even if, if possible humans could live billions of years ago. You know, it could have been that far back. And, like, would anything mm -hmm. even be shown or would, would there be any evidence of anything by now? Maybe not. Maybe that's why there doesn't seem to be. <laughs> yeah. I always think, could we, could we have screwed up Mars? Could we have already screwed up Mars and said, oh, fuck, we need to go to Mars. We need to go to this uh, other planet called Earth. Mm -hmm. And then we just ditched it. it is and, possible. Yeah, we screwed yeah. it up. Because yep. it, it had lake. I mean, it had oceans, right? Mm -hmm. Had stuff before. So it's yep. like, what the hell happened? Mm -hmm. So we shouldn't do it again. <laughs> If we know that that ever happened. So I think that's, a, that's always a debate. If we knew that really happened or if it didn't happen, but we have like, you know, our ancestors who talk about, you know, coming from the stars, you know, who say they traveled, 
from different, you know, um, universes and things like that within our, um, our galaxies, right? So it's like, could things like that possibly could have happened in the past? You know, could there be some weird thing where we've been like, you know, um, I don't know, just these, these apes and, you know, DNA was changed. You know, we just took some markers out and switched it up and turned mm -hmm. it on like a trigger. I mean, because mm -hmm. there's even like, um, I was reading the, uh, literally the other day um, that uh, there was a unique gene that some scientists said they believed that humans used to have tails. But it was due mm -hmm. to a mutation within a gene. I forgot the name. It was a BX or something like that. I forgot the actual gene name. But they said due to a mutation um, in the gene, um, we stop uh, producing it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we don't have tails. And they based this off of some monkeys and some cats and things like that who had this actual gene. And they noticed mm -hmm. that when they kept on procreating, sometimes it can become, some, I guess, somewhat dominant. And then just totally, mm -hmm. you know, now you have a, a, a species that doesn't have the tail anymore. Yeah. Interesting. I would have liked to have a tail. That would have been fun. But see, this goes back to Thundercats again, <laughs> right? This goes back to Thundercats. See, maybe sure. we were Thundercats, right? Maybe. <laughs> We had but tails. wouldn't it be great to have a tail? It'd be like, I, I picture it like a third hand. Okay. Right? Because it would, it would be great to have a third hand. <laughs> unless, unless, unless something just said, hey, you know what? There's these primates. We don't, we think it's not efficient for them to have these tails. Let's take that away. Mm -hmm. uh, let's increase the brain capacity, you know, <laughs> to think more logical. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Let's trigger this. I mean, because DNA is so amazing because you can, you can turn on things, you know? Mm-hmm. There are, you know, certain species within our planet that can, you know, rejuvenate, but we can't, mm -hmm. but we must right. have the gene that's capable of it. All we have to do is figure out pretty much how to turn it on. Right. It's like and that's one of the reasons why I wish I knew a little bit more about the biological scientists because that stuff is completely fascinating. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. It's super fascinating. Biolo biology mm -hmm. and then also the whole robotics. I think like a happy marriage between both of those can produce some really cool Cyborgs. Shit. Yeah, there you go. I mean, but our, cyborgs. I mean, but if you look at it though, right? We are pretty much a cyborg, right? More mm -hmm. of like a biological cyborg, right? If you want to say that, right? I mean, everything is just so perfectly well put together. Well, a lot of years to figure it out, probably. Yeah, all we're doing is reversing it, you know. Yeah. Even when we're thinking about computers, we're building them similar to humans. You know how we have temporary memory, like cookies. You know. Mm -hmm. We're building them have long-term memory, right? Like our, our hard drive. To, to the degree that we know, I, I think that's kind of one of the interesting things is we don't, you know, there's still so much about the brain that we still don't know, right? We still don't have a, a great framework for even just how the brain truly works. So we, we think that we're building them similarly, but maybe, maybe not. And maybe that's why, you know, true artificial intelligence is really a long way off. Level five? From where we are. <laughs> hmm? Level five? Yeah. <laughs> Full autonomy. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, but do we need to have this, this level of, you know, um, of AI that is just like completely like a human brain or do we need to have it just close enough to do mundane things? Mm -hmm. Well, I would like to have, I would love to have an assistant that was a little bit more sophisticated than Alexa or Siri that could kind of anticipate my needs. So that, that's kind of like the, the level that I'm going for, you know, a human can anticipate my needs and, and, and put things together in a way that the, the today's kind of like AI assistants, you know, can't do. Um, the example I like to, to do is like several years ago, I was traveling a lot for work and I would always go from 
one airport to to another. This one airport was my home airport, and that's where I, I traveled from. Even though I'm in the range of three different airports, there was just one I always traveled to. So uh, one day I'm supposed to go to my sister's wedding. So I get up, I'm rushing, I go to the airport. And I thought it was weird that I was having problems checking in online before I left the house. But I'm like, no, no, I, I just got to get there. You know, I don't have time to worry about it. I'll figure it out once I get to the airport. I get to the airport. And as I'm work, walking towards the terminal, I'm like, oh, my God, it hit me. I went to the wrong airport. I had bought the tickets months before. And in kind of like the, just the way life had gotten so chaotic and because I was so used to going to the one airport, the concept that I could possibly do something at another one, I just didn't think about. Uh, so I was on kind of autopilot. And I like to think that some kind of sophisticated AI in my computer would have kind of like been able to put up a big red flag <laughs> and said, you know, Adina, I know you normally go to one airport, but no, today you need to go to the, to, to another one. Like I need something that would that will think a little bit more for me, if that makes sense. Hmm. And the funny thing is, as I'm saying, I've been telling this story for like a while because this happened uh, 12, 13 years ago. And now that I think about it, there is a level of where like my phone does a little bit more of this today than it used to, because if I do things right in my calendar, um, then Waze or Google Maps will pop up with directions and say, hey, you need to, you know, you need to leave a certain time and here's your directions. It's, it really actually already is there. Although I think in this case, because I was on a mental autopilot without someone like shaking me and saying, you're not going to the same place you always go to, I, I probably still would have ignored the, <laughs> ignored my device. Right. So and just gone to the wrong airport. Right. So basically kind of what happened was you had a set destination that you typically went to, but this time you booked it at mm -hmm. a different one. Mm -hmm. And yes. so you just started driving towards the one that you normally went to based yep. off a of habit in history. But yep. really you should have been into another airport because you actually mm -hmm. took a, a ticket from another uh, airport. And I missed my flight. And yeah. you missed your flight. I got rebooked later in the day. So I did not miss my sister's wedding because that was all what this was for. <laughs> but it was, you know, but having, but that was kind of, I remember sitting there in the airport thinking like, if I had had like an assistant that could really help me not just carry my data around, but actually interact with me in a way to help me, that that's kind of what I need. Wow. That's interesting. So I, I would say that what it, sh what it should have done, and this is, I, I think what you actually experience is doable now. And I think basically where that comes from, and I've worked on AI um, at some mm -hmm. notable companies before previously in the, in the past. Um, but like, I think basically what it should have done is, you know, um, had some historical data about you, mm -hmm. you know, um, some historical data that you typically went to, you know, um, these other locations. But as a reminder, you know, it needs to differentiate. Hey, look, it needs to be able to feed in the new information in the old, in the, in the historical information to learn just like a human would kind of in a way, mm -hmm. right? Like we're not going to, like when you meet a person, you don't automatically know that person's behavior, right? You have to kind right. of get to know them for right. a while to get smarter and kind of learn their behaviors. Like we, mm -hmm. you know, you date somebody or whatever it may be, you, you learn how they think and how they do typical things. So I agree that some amount of that learning is definitely possible today. But the, I think the, the part though is how, what I don't think is quite possible today is the, guaranteeing that the AI could connect with me, could inform me. Cause I mean, like, I, you know, there's like a thousand notifications on my phone all the time. I ignore most of them, you know? So just, just having another notification, it would, is something that would be an, ignored. I need something that can be 
like proact like interactively proactive not not wait for me to ask it anything and not just put up a little light or a little notification but something that could like like maybe the ai can actually give me a phone call <laughs> and say hey no really i need to talk to you we need to talk about this you need to know what's going on you know something along those lines which is not something i think uh it's not to say that we don't have the ability to program it. I think what you're saying is morally like yeah. the the way of doing it, right? The execution mm -hmm. of actually doing it in a way that's not a noisy way that we typically have right now. For example, text right. messaging, you know, or push typically can get really noisy or even email, right? Mm -hmm. Those things are just like, right. it's bombarded by noise. So it's like, how do you get rid of the noise? And how do you make it a, a more of a seamless experience where it's like mm -hmm. almost like a part of you? Maybe that's Neuralink, right? Maybe Neuralink is the yeah. thing that does that and solves that problem for us. I mean, I think you'd have to actually get that in, uh, implant it for you to try it out. But maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's the thing that that does it. I'm not yet ready to become a cyborg like that myself. <laughs> Why not? I'm just not ready. I'm, maybe when I'm, you know when I'm a little older. What's your fear? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's the funny things because there's definitely someone, uh, you know, I'm very interested in technology and all these things, but there's definitely a few irrational things. I think you found one, um, you know, similar to like the whole concept of, of self-driving cars, which I love. I, I can't wait for them to become a thing. I hope they become a thing before my own kids are ready to drive. Yet as someone who's been driving herself for 30 years, you're not taking away my car keys. <laughs> I'm driving myself, you know? So yeah, it, which is completely irrational, right? I should let the car drive for me because it makes so much sense in so many ways, but, but I drive. This is true. But and, and when we go anywhere as a family, I drive. <laughs> and that's fine. But also it could be, it could be things of habit, right? And it also mm -hmm. could be a thing of like, you know, you just enjoy driving, you know, and not, and, and it's also, it's a habit, it's a habit type of thing where you've kind of, You've kind of got used to just driving and, and having control. And now we're talking about mm -hmm. letting go of that control, letting a machine take over, right? Mm -hmm. That is a, is a vulnerable state to let a machine just drive you somewhere. So we're not used to that. Although I'm, I'm okay to let my kids, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather it drive my kids and teach my kids how to drive. <laughs> oh, but you just don't want Because that's scary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I just, I just, I want to drive myself. <laughs> yeah. You just like driving. I do. I really do. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. I like driving too. I like I like just the drive. It, it's fun, right? Mm -hmm. But I right. think like you know maybe the future children of uh or or your kids example may not even like driving. Well, and that's interesting because uh, my older son is eleven now, and I think when he was like eight, we were talking about it one day, and he had no interest in ever learning how to drive because it meant he couldn't do other things. He couldn't play on a you know couldn't play a video game on a device or something like that. Cause he's, you know, watching me drive his whole life. He knows that you can't do anything else. And so he had made a comment about not wanting to learn to drive, wanting to let the car drive to, for him because so then he can, was free to do, do something else. I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason why I've, I don't like to drive long distance because mm -hmm. I want to do something else, you know? See, and I think, I think the reason why I, I'm the one who likes to drive is because I always got motion sickness, so I couldn't read or I couldn't really do much else. So that's why one of the reasons I like to drive because I don't get motion sickness and can't really do anything. So uh, <laughs> I'd rather be doing something. Adina, maybe it's maybe maybe it has to do with uh, your suspension. Did you get your suspension checked out? You know, make sure you're not like bouncing no. around like roughly. Look, what are you like? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this, we're we're talking, you know, because. For the last, yeah, since I've been a driver, I pretty much drive all the time. Um, so we're talking like 30 plus years ago. 
Oh, yeah. Suspension is probably definitely different. It depends on what vehicle you drove. Like every car has a different suspension. Like that's true. It doesn't matter how 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 expensive the car is. All cars Mm -hmm. have different types of suspension. So depending on how, you know, that suspension is set up, it could be a a shaky ride. Like I know um, in my vehicle, like people say in my back seat, it it, it tends to make them a little bit more uh, motion sick, you know. Um, but the people that drive in the front don't, they don't feel this, but mm-hmm. I've also heard from friends who used to sell cars and they say, Hey, your vehicle in this model, even though it is a BMW, they're like, Hey, you know, the back seats, uh, have, you know, been, uh, prone to give people a bumpy ride, which would, hmm. you know, most likely give you a uh, motion sickness. Right. So I think it has a lot to do with the, the shock, the, the shocks in the vehicle, you know, being, uh, the, the tires being balanced, you know, um, also the terrain, right. The rougher mm-hmm. the terrain, um, the, the, uh, the, what do you call them? The, uh, uh, the suspension in general, if that suspension mm-hmm. is not a really good suspension or it's kind of old, it needs to be properly maintenance, maintenance properly consistently. That can also increase it too. Interesting. Maybe my parents didn't take care of their cars when I was a kid. That's why I always got sick. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't, a lot of people don't know. Like were your parents, did your parents ever work in a mechanical shop or anything else like that or? No, my my grandfather was a mechanic, uh, but no, my parents no, no. Yeah, yeah, you got to know that stuff because sometimes you'll go there and they won't. People won't teach you this stuff. It's like the same yeah. thing where you go to, you know, you're working on satellites. You know, you know that there's mm-hmm. different things. There's pros and cons to building a satellite. You know that can make it, you know, smoother, right, or work more mm-hmm. efficient, right. And some of them might not be as efficient as the others, right? I mean, we were using, you know, before what Elon Musk, from what I understand, you know, we were mm-hmm. we weren't using re- reusable rockets, right? Now we are, mm-hmm. right? So that experience right. totally changed things. But if you're not up on what's the latest or what things you should be looking for to check and change, you might still experience that old history of that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I and to- and this is this is kind of reminding me that I actually have to take my own car in for service. I keep getting the little warranty notice. See? <laughs> You got to do that. Yeah. If the I do, I do. If the engine's rattling and stuff like that, that could cause the... I mean, yeah. my, my current car feels fine, but I keep getting the notices, you know, saying we got all these little warranty things, got to make an appointment and come in. I mean, some of those can be just triggers for you to get in there to spend more money, but oh. your, your suspension, <laughs> your suspension is another thing that could, that can easily uh, cause problems depending on the terrain and depending on mm-hmm. uh, the shocks and the tires being balanced and things like that, that can all cause the car to be, to shake. Um, I did when I was a teenager, I, I did work at a, um, uh, a tire, um, uh, uh, place, right. I worked at a national mm-hmm. tire and battery cause I wanted to learn about mm-hmm. cars, you know? So I was like, Oh yeah, let me do that. And, uh, I learned a lot about suspension, almost got my finger chopped off, but I did learn a bunch about suspension, you know, and I did learn a lot about, uh, balancing wheels and tires and how that affects the car ultimately. Cool. Hopefully you know, the fact that you have all your fingers, I think is a, <laughs> you learned how to keep them on too. <laughs> Well, I mean, that happened because I was like literally training a, a new guy who was like taller and bigger than me. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I told him, hey, look, we have to balance the tire off this truck. And we had to use this extra like type of adapter mount. And then we, we, we you know, you have to make sure it's tight. And then you push, you put the little hood over it. And then you push the button and it, and it tells you if uh, it's balanced. And then if it's not, then you put extra mm-hmm. weights on it. And, you know, that fit the actual uh, amount mm-hmm. of weight you need to balance the actual tire. Because this this tire wobbling can cause your car to have you know, shake, which would, you know, contribute to your motion sickness. And so if you don't get that properly checked or even just a tire itself, certain tires are cheaper than the other tires. Certain tires mm-hmm. can get warped. Certain tires can wear down further than others. You don't constantly get your tires rotated. All these things can contribute 
to your uh, your ride experience and can cause you to shake. And then also the, the, the make of the vehicle. Yeah, got to look it Interesting. up. Yeah. Okay. See, you got to apply that, that, that satellite knowledge to your vehicle. <laughs> I just want my vehicle to just work and get me where I need to go. <laughs> See, that's why I think that's why you need, I think you probably need a Tesla. I think you need a Tesla. I think that, I think those are the closest thing that do that where they self-diagnose itself and tell you when you kind of need service and what, you know, and yes. what's not good. Yeah, I definitely need that. But then I need to drive it to drive itself to the service. <laughs> I think they have, I think they have some, you know, some of them are testing the full autonomy right now um, mm -hmm. and beta testing. So yeah, some of them are yeah. close. So yeah. Well, so the car can go without me, you know, so it can go to its service appointment, you know, so I can do my own thing, you know, work on work or with my kids or work on my writing and the car can go and take care of itself and come home and be all good. Yeah, I mean, there's certain there's there, I think Lyft is actually trying out full autonomy in certain cities, mm -hmm. Miami and uh, Texas. They're using a hybrid system through um, another company I'm not going to mention. But yeah, you know, um, cool. you know, they're not using Tesla. They're using their own little technology that they've made partnerships with. Mm -hmm. But um, they're testing out full autonomy in those in those two cities, Austin, and uh, Miami. So yeah, if you're in those areas, you could definitely take advantage of that. I am not in those areas. I'm in Maryland, but no, that's a, uh, but it, it's great that this kind of stuff is coming. I'm, I am very excited for all kinds of new technologies. I mean, but, seeing so much of it, like just in the last like 20, 30 years uh, has been amazing. And I'm very excited for the next 10, 20 years. Really? Are you? Yeah. I feel like, I kind of feel like we're a little bit late. I feel like we've been lazy. No. <laughs> where's the, like, where's like, where, where are our hoverboards, right? Where are flying cars? <laughs> we're still driving on wheels. Well, Where's, but look at what, but all the things that we didn't even imagine, you know, when we were kids and imagining the hoverboards and flying cars, right? We were not imagining cell phones. We were not imagining this kind of face-to-face -face community. Well, okay, we were imagining a little bit of the face-to-face -face communication over oh, computers. Yeah. But, I mean, look at what has. And, I, you know, I think of it in terms of when I think about the, the childhood experience my kid is having in a world where he does not know a world without the internet. He doesn't know a world without cell phones. And comparing that to, you know, those of us who grew up in the 80s, pre-internet, pre-cell phone. I mean, like I learned how to drive with no cell phone. My, my parents sent me out of the house in a car to who knows where with no way to get a hold of me. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine that with, with my own kid, you know. I mean, like I, I barely let him, you know, go to his friend, walk down the block <laughs> to his friend's house, you know, without a cell phone to, you know, so I can get a hold of him. <laughs> no, I, 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 I can yeah. totally understand. You know, I mean, I was around long enough to where I saw like older technologies existing, you know, mm -hmm. people, you know, grandparents using those old phones that you would stick your finger in and you spin it around and you're like, what mm -hmm. the hell is this? And then you, you that was our phone when we were growing up. <laughs> and then you have the, you know, the press pads, you have the VHS, you have, you have the, what, the beta Beta Maxes, right? You had, um, mm -hmm. you know, you had the DVDs, and you know, now it's just before DVDs with you know, VHS. Yeah, Beta Max. <laughs> and before VHS, yeah. I mean, I remember when we got our first, when we got our first VCR. I mean, like I remember a time you did not pause. There was no pause on TV. That that didn't exist, and the ability to record your program again. I remember the before time when this stuff did not exist, and so yeah, it's a very different experience. So I think so much has changed and we have so much more than we, we, we did. Even if it's not the exact things that we might've wanted, we've got so much. 
I agree. We have so much, but I feel like I don't. I don't know. I just feel like you know that we we don't have so much as what we drones. What we were pros <laughs> drones drones. I mean, we should have been made drones. I feel like drones are like something we could have done a long time ago. We just didn't do it, right? I, I feel like mm -hmm. cell phones are something that we could have did a while back ago, but we just didn't do it. I feel like there's just like technology that's released to a small s sect of people and they know it. And then they wait a long time before they release it out to the mass public. Well, so cell phones, so there were mobile phones for a while and they were very expensive. I mean, cell phones were really enabled once the, you know, basically the, the processors that we can use. I mean, that, that there was kind of like a, a cliff when that really became available. So no, I, I think that that stuff kind of really went very quickly once the technology was there. And I was a, I want to say a fairly early adopter of cell phones. I mean, I, I had my like little brick cell phone back in, I, think I got my first one in 1997. And it was just a, it was just a phone. It's just a phone nothing else. And it, and it was a little brick. It was a very inconvenient, <laughs> but it was just a phone, you know, and then, you know, the whole concept of the smartphones, again, once, once uh, processing power became more widely available and cheaper and all that, that's, well, we got our, we, we all have our smartphones now. Yeah, that's interesting. But I still feel like, you know, there, there's some major things that haven't been done. And, and you know, when yeah. it comes to transportation, and there's so many different things that need to be explored you know like mm -hmm. i'm kind of tired of the freaking wheel like have why haven't we thought of something different from the wheel now like we're still using the wheel you know the wheel is just like <laughs> so old it's like i understand if it's not broke don't try to fix it but it's like we're 2021 should we be doing something else but it's not i don't think it's a it's a matter of if it's not broke don't fix it because we certainly do have all kinds of advancements i think it's it is the it's a wheel. <laughs> I mean, it is just a wheel. I mean, we've been rocking I mean, we've the wheel been using for, it for literally thousands of for years. Thousands of years. Thousands yeah. of years. We're yeah. 2021. We got cell phones. There's a good reason for that. <laughs> I agree. There's, you know, I think we can argue there's a good reason for a lot of things that existed in the past. But I feel like now we should be disrupting a lot more things um, than uh, we are. You know, I think we're doing it. Mm -hmm. I think without guys like Elon Musk who have the ability and mm -hmm. influence to be able to push those initiatives, um, there wouldn't be that much progress, right? A lot of the progress in, you know, in, in, the, in the now or even in the past were done by these certain individuals with these certain um, uh, personality traits that had the buy-in and the experience to be able to get people to lead, I mean, to, to lead them and to follow them within their, their wacky ideas. Right. Mm -hmm. And those people have changed, you know, society, they've changed the world for people because I feel like other than that, other people won't, you know, they get their money. I don't need to innovate anything else. The will works, man. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm fine. You know, let's just mm -hmm. take vacations and travel around the world. We're good. We don't need to do anything. You know, as long as I got my cash and I made it, it doesn't matter. Small, 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 small inventions or innovations in general. And, Mm -hmm. nothing as big as like that's why you got guys like elon musk who just came in and said hey look you know we're going to mars we're going to make mm -hmm. a reusable rocket why the hell wasn't that done before like yeah right. well, science didn't meet yeah. it right but like what else well it's it's you know a lot of it is economics and if you can't 
if you can't truly prove the return on investment, then there's a lot of folks who are not interested, which is wonderful. Why it which makes it wonderful that a lot of these guys are willing to just put their own money in and not worried about the return on investment. And so we see a lot of the success stories from that. So, you know, we see SpaceX in their rocket, we see Tesla in the car. What we don't see actually is a lot of the money that they invest on stuff that doesn't work out so well, or that might have small improvements in some technology that's not as bigger or shattering. Um, you know, so, so, you know, Elon Musk, he, he announces all the time, like grand ideas and all these things he wants to do. And he puts money into all these things. And then sometimes we never hear about them again because they didn't pan out. And that's still just as awesome. The fact that he's willing to try and it's not just him, the fact that there's a lot of these like ultra mega wealthy people that are willing to, you know, put their own money, you know, not only Richard Branson, uh, one of the, one of my favorite guys is Paul Allen. He was a co-founder of Microsoft. Yeah, um, yeah. He passed away a few years ago. But his, you know, the the company that he started, um, Vulcan, invests in a whole bunch of technologies, and it's still it's his estate. It's still ongoing, and yeah, it, it's it's fantastic because that's kind of what we need is we need people who are like not going to worry about the bottom line, the return on investment, but are just going to do it just to do it. And like I said, it's it's great because it's just gonna it's going to continue to spur all kinds of spinoffs and just encourage other people to do it, encourage competition, all the good stuff. I agree. You need, you need, you need your, you need to have some funding for sure. You need to have a lot of funding mm -hmm. to initiate yeah. that, that risk, right. To, to mitigate that. But I believe that it doesn't, I mean, I believe your uh, ability to have experience or a track record to have, you know, done these awesome things previously in the past, you know, increases your efficiency to be able to raise that capital. That's one thing mm -hmm. that you have in Silicon Valley. You can be this brainiac. You can be this person who's great at inventing things, but, you know, to, to a small, you know, certain small group of friends or, or to whatever it may be, a smaller group of people in general. But when it comes to, you know, wanting to go to Mars, you need to have had a big win in the previous past. And sure, they do take major risks by throwing all their money in. But I would, I would, I would go against the fact that, it is a risk that they're throwing all their money in, but at the same time, when you're a guy who sold a company like PayPal, you know, mm -hmm. your street cred is pretty high. And so really throwing out two hundred and fifty million dollars, is that is that is that death for you? You know? Well no, no. It's still but the fact that he's still whether or not that's true, the fact that he's still willing to do it, because he doesn't have to. I mean, like, he could do anything with his money, right? And the fact that he's willing to do this. I think is, is amazing. And of course, yes, success builds upon success for sh for sure. Right. Um, so when he says, I'm going to go to Mars, you know, it, again, we, we believe him because of everything that he's been able to do so far. Right. Um, but okay. <laughs> Even if he was someone who came along with a lot of money and hadn't done it before, uh, the fact that he's, cause again, it, it's also not just him. He's building a team of people to help you know, get them there. And I have, you know, in the industry, there's a lot of a movement around of just engineers working at different companies. So I've had friends who worked at SpaceX. I've had friends who work at Blue, um, Blue Origin and stuff. And, and a lot of it is also having the idea, willing to put the money in, but also being able to build a team of people that could actually execute. And I think that's, that's um, something that shouldn't be underestimated because you, you could have a great idea, you could have money, but if you don't get the right people to help, because you're not doing this, you're not the one actually doing this yourself. Um, it is that team of people that you build. 
Right. And I totally agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> but I will, I will throw something back in there. I will throw something back in the mm-hmm. sand. I'll throw some Mars sand back on. And what I'm saying is, <laughs> Adina, is I agree. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that a guy like Elon Musk, he doesn't have to put his money there. Nope. But a guy like Elon Musk has to put his money there. And what I mean by that I, is I see what you're saying. a guy yeah. like Elon Musk, it, 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 there's certain people that, that have these certain principles in life you know, and things that they want to live by and want to stand for. And how do they want to exist? You know, how do they want to be remembered? Mm-hmm. Are they legacy driven? Mm-hmm. Elon Musk, sure. to me, is a person who is legacy driven. After you've reached so much amount of money, what else do you, what, what else can you, what, what can you do? You know, because you know mm-hmm. you're going to die, right? Most likely you're going to die, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody dies right now, at least. So it's like, all right, so I've done these amazing things. I've raised this money. What else could I do? Hmm. I could sit on the beach <laughs> and spend all my money and hang out with whatever type of people you want to hang out with or whatever you feel that fancies your heart. What, you know, maybe that's women for some people. Maybe it's mm-hmm. the same sex. Whatever it may be, you can do that to an abundance. But mm-hmm. does that to – to a type of personality trait like an Elon Musk, that feels empty. I'm legacy driven. Well, I don't sure. really care about hanging at the beach. Yeah. Well, I don't even think it's necessarily legacy driven. Just it's just a drive to do it. You know, you, you have a certain personality type that isn't just going to sit there and twiddle your thumbs. You know, whether it's it's legacy or not. You know, because I, I I get that too. Um, the whole concept with you know people ask me about when do you find you know you you're, you have a full time job, have kids, all this. When do you find time to write? And part of it is like I, I have to. I can't just sit there and not. <laughs> and so I think there's, there's just some of that, uh, you know, a lot of people who are just driven to do whatever they need to do. They're just driven to do whatever they, they need to do. Uh, Paul Allen in his, he had an autobiography that he wrote a couple of years before he passed away called idea man. And he talked about, you know, these ideas and, you know, being a kid and wanting to do stuff with rockets and, and all this. And then once he was an adult and happened to have had this amazing thing with Microsoft and make a, bunch of money that he was able to go back and look at these dreams he had and be like, you know, I can now try to fund this and try to actually make this a reality. And, you know, again, he could, any of these folks could just write, retire, sit on a beach, do whatever, but the same personality that drives them to succeed to begin with is the same personality that drives them to not just sit there, you know, not just stop. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree, Dina. I agree. But at the same time, I'm going to throw a little bit more Mars sand on it. And I'm going to say, yes, 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 you're right. I agree. But also, I'm going to add something in there. And what I'm going to add is that, you know, there is this, like, you get to, what I was saying before, you get to this point where you have all this money. You can do anything you want to do, anything mm-hmm. you want to do in the world. You're a multimillionaire. You have $250 million, roughly. What is it that life can't do for you with that amount of money? So it's like, mm-hmm. what? I've done all this. You're right. There's this drive. I've done, I've got, I've built this big company and I have all this money. And now it's just like, what do I do? It's like really about mm-hmm. what do I do? And if you're that type of personality, personality, try a trait. Uh, when you're that type of personality type, you, you do have this, this, uh, this pushed or drive or this mission to do something next. Because if you don't, you just mm-hmm. feel like, you know, you need to solve problems. You need to do something. And it's like, Mm-hmm. Why not go revisit those things that you always wanted to do? Because what stops you from doing those things that you always wanted to do or, or following your dreams as a kid? It's money. Mm-hmm. So now when you yeah. get older, 
you've figured out, I mean, you've, you've reached $250 million or you reach a success point where you've, you know, you've had a great exit in a company. People think you're a rock star. It's easy to assimilate uh, or it's easy to assimilate a, a amazing teams, right? Because you mm -hmm. have the buy-in, right, of, of a track record now. You know, and Elon mm -hmm. Musk, to me, could have never built, you know, Tesla or SpaceX prior to pay PayPal. Right? I, no, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. So, and because, right, we, we definitely are in a culture of success breeds success, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's why I sit there and say to people when people say, oh, like, I don't really like when people say, well, you know, this person is this person. I'm like, well, how do you know that, that you know, I could be that same freaking person, mm -hmm. right? But you don't know that until I've reached a, a, la right. a level of, of, of excellence to be able to achieve or to execute those because mm -hmm. I could talk about all day long, like, hey, I want to go to Mars and I want to, I want to build, mm -hmm. you know, uh, spaceships and, you know, I want to, I want to get rid of the will, but who the hell is mm -hmm. going to believe me when you're. Give me a billion dollars and I'll show you what I can do. <laughs> exactly. I mean, but you don't, you know, you don't even need a billion dollars. If you get one successful startup, mm -hmm. uh, like, mm -hmm. like Elon Musk, I think he got like a, I think if I'm correct, I think he got about 250 million. There was something of, before PayPal, wasn't there? He had some other smaller companies that he did. And he sold so, I mean, them. there's something he that built them. that then he did PayPal and, you know, like there was, right. There was a string of, of things. Yeah. yeah. He had some, he had a smaller company. I think when he first came to Silicon Valley, he was like, I think he tried to work at one of the tech companies here. I don't know if it was Netscape or something else like that. I can't remember exactly, but Netscape, he, that's a, a word I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's like, it was one of those companies. I think it was Netscape. I can't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on that, but it was a company like that it may have been Netscape, but he wanted to work there, but he stood in the lobby and he, he was just afraid and he's like, oh yeah, well, I guess they're not, they probably wouldn't hire me. So let me just walk out here and build my own thing. And he built mm -hmm. some type of company at the time in that company, I think exited and he brought himself, a, 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 he brought himself some stuff, but I think that wasn't the company that catapulted him to be able to do SpaceX and et cetera. Mm -hmm. PayPal was the actual company, but I think that gave him like some, uh, some, some extra, uh, funding to be able to execute his PayPal-like idea because he merged with PayPal, actually. He had another company that mm -hmm. merged to PayPal. That might be what I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah, and then when PayPal got you know acquired, and he was a the CEO at PayPal at one time, but he was fired. Uh, yeah, that, that's bringing back some memory. I, I know I've, I've read some stuff about his background, but I'm not recalling all of it right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all overshadowed by all the SpaceX stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's what happens once you make. That's the only massive. important thing. Yeah, <laughs> out of everything he's did in the past, this is the most important thing because he's changing the world. Mm -hmm. He's pushing things forward. But I, I guess what I'm just saying in general is like, how many great minds and how many people would do certain things like Elon Musk, but they just don't have you know the buy-in. There's a lot of people who probably don't have the. Buy -in. Oh sure, sure, yes, it. oh abs absolutely. There are ton tons of people who would if they could. Yeah, you, you got to get that win. Got to get that win. Yeah. Nobody thinks you're successful before you show them that you're successful. It's baby steps. Mm -hmm. And I just think mm -hmm. there's just like these, these, these small slots in life or, or nodes that you have to reach in order to be able to get to the next level to say something or to have a voice to be able to be who you want to be. And I feel like Elon mm -hmm. Musk, he took those steps and he achieved each one of those. He achieved each major node in his life you know, with accomplishments and he used that to push, propel himself to the next node. Mm -hmm. you know, and now he's a trillionaire, right? I think he's a trillionaire. I think they announced that like no. this week or something. Yeah, he's like a trillionaire. Really? Oh, I think. Wow. I think the thing is, Adina, he ended up. I think it was a uh, who was it? It was one of the companies. One of these recent companies ended up purchasing a hundred thousand uh, of his vehicles. 
like two days ago or something like that. And so mm-hmm. now it pushed him up to be uh, the valuation of one trillion, $1 trillion. It's crazy. That, that hurts my head, but <laughs> it's crazy. But if he keeps funneling that money into SpaceX, and we're all good, it's all good. No, he is. And now there's there's also talk about him, you know, doing some type of stuff with uh, yeah, the uh, mobile phones, creating his own mobile mm-hmm. device. And I think that's a push, you know, at Apple. Um, mm-hmm. you know, because you know they didn't, you know, he wanted to be the CEO of Apple. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen for him. So you know, mm-hmm. you know, they, they denied him that. And so I think he's kind of still have that. Okay, well, guess what. <laughs> I'm going to get you again. And Do my I, own. Yeah. yeah. And Apple was talking about building a car. He's like, yeah, come on. Good luck with that. You know, but you know, I think deep inside, he's probably a little bit, you know, fearful of Apple doing stuff like that. But because mm-hmm. Apple is Apple. I mean, before mm-hmm. Elon Musk, who was, I would say who was probably the biggest person before Elon Musk. It wasn't Zuckerberg. I would say, I think it was Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, you know, in terms of, yeah, personality in, in a tech industry. Yeah. Steve Jobs for sure. Um, I mean, Bill Gates in a way, but not the same way that Steve Jobs. No. Yeah. That's a that, the, the certain ter- type of personality that allows you mm-hmm. to be able to innovate and motivate others and then also mm-hmm. sell it. Yeah. And execute it and make it happen. Yes. Make people Steve believe Jobs. something and they I can't, can't think of. I can't think of anyone else besides him. Nah. Steve Jobs was, I mean, before, before uh, Elon Musk, it definitely was Steve Jobs. He was, uh, mm-hmm. he was the Elon Musk of, you know, 10 years ago, right? Or for maybe twenty some odd years, right? I mean, even further. I mean, once he yeah. came up with the iPhone, you know, the you know uh, the Macintosh, you know, all those things like that, you know, those things changed the world. I mean, that's all. That's all I use. I'm on the the PC and Android. It's because you're a developer. Side of the universe. It's because you're a developer. <laughs> <laughs> Developers love the PCs. What type mm-hmm. of what mobile device are you are you are you rocking? Are uh, you, an Android. Android. I, have a, I have a Samsung. See? Samsung Android. See? Yeah. I already knew it. i know my types of personalities traits yeah so typically developers will always typically nine times out of ten have a pc and an android device Mm -hmm. right and they typically might want to drive their own cars (laughs) (laughs) what is it that's fair yeah And then you have your product people who are like Mac and who are like Macs, right? Mm-hmm. Designers and graphic people, they typically will like your Macs. They will like, you know, they don't want to work on, you know, the computer that much. They don't want to customize stuff. They just want it to work. It's about efficiency, not really mm-hmm. about, you know, hey, look, look what I can do though. I have more control and I can do this and I can call up this command. And yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. That that definitely um is is accurate with the people that I know who are <laughs> <laughs> who are graphics artists and designers and what type of pc do you have um i just have right now uh, a dell i specifically bought one a little over a year it was one of the my pandemic purchases uh, to get a new computer so that was vr capable so i have a vr headset and awesome do you like vr yes oh i love it it's actually it's it's kind of one of my side hobbies at my day job too <laughs> oh. is I, I have a little vr lab um although uh, we've, we've had some again with the, the pandemic and being you know working from home it's a little bit a little bit different but yes i i love vr that is crazy what do you think the future of vr is going to look like um i think as the headsets get more wearable i think that that's the big thing that needs to change because right now you can't wear it for too long without it getting very uncomfortable and you know being being heavy on your neck and your head and, and your eyes so i think the technology has to improve to make it more wearable um, but as it does, as that happens, I think it'll become more common. Um, 
I know, you know, of course I have it at home and we, you know, play games and it's a lot of fun, but at work we actually use it to, it's kind of like a, a design or an engineering tool. And again, I think as people get used to it and that they see that it, how wonderful it is to be able to see what you're building before you build it, that's a, a very important thing. So I, I think it's going to increase in popularity over the next few years. Yeah. Or AR or AR might take over that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah. what type of what type of VR uh, headset are you using? Are you using like Facebook's so, Oculus? What are you doing? No, I use a. I personally have the HTC Vive, and long story why I, I chose that over Oculus. But um, but yeah, I've I've a HTC Vive. Cool. Doesn't your head yeah. get like I get headaches when I put on the? Uh, I, I don't get headaches, dizzy. but the headset itself. It just it's it's kind of meaty so it's not that it's a headache like from the eyes it's more from the weight of it so like on my neck and everything so after a while i just can't you know wear it anymore although what i have is uh one of the the more recent generations like um i had at work we had used one from a few years ago and it was heavier than the one i have now so wow. they're, they're getting better and as they they get better i think like i said it'll it'll become more popular yeah, for me, I always get I always got dizzy, and I've only tried Oculus mm -hmm. previously in the past, and I just got dizzy, and I was like, "Dude, I have to take it off. This is like oh, hurting my eyes and my head." I got dizzy. I got motion sickness. I felt like I was in your well, car. So there are definitely uh, reasons and ways that you'll get <laughs> similar to the car. There's actually things that will will cause you to get motion sickness in VR. See how I dropped that in um, there. <laughs> yeah, related to you know your frame rate and just you know different things there. Um, I'm also prone to motion sickness in the VR if. Um, certain things are like if there's a scenario where you're like you're on a roller coaster i'm gonna it's gonna make me feel a little wonky and uh we we play around um play uh the the stuff that i do at at my job uh you know so we're looking at a satellite in vr and we have ways to like fly above the satellite so you can see it from all like and and some of that flying stuff can get gets me really easily i i don't do the flying <laughs> you hear that kids don't do the flying all right. If you don't want to get motion sickness. There you go. That That is what it is. So, you know, what are some other things that, you know, that you're interested in as far as like, you know, um, you know, skills? I mean, I, I got you with God, VR. I've got you with, you know, children's robot books and yeah. And, and your satellites. What else? Oh, gosh. Well, Boston Dynamics. I mean, anything what are we related doing? to space computers, um, astronomy, you know, which is, it's just so expansive. I mean, like I've, I have some hobbies that have like nothing to do with any of that, but, um, but in all, all of that, just, I don't know. To, and to me, a lot of it merges together, you know, like the science fiction feeds the science feeds the science fiction and it kind of circles in and on itself. Um, yeah. Astronomy, um, astronomy. Yeah. What, what interests you about astronomy? Well, it's all part of the the space stuff. You know, when I went to college, most people kind of with an interest in space like I had would have majored in aerospace engineering. But at the time that I was starting college, I was very nervous about majoring in that. And then like, well, what if I, you know, the industry isn't doing so well and I want to work in space. I don't want to work in aero. And because I was worried about just practically getting, you know, a job when I graduated and I decided to major in physics instead um, my high school physics professor, who at the time he was in his sixties and he had his degrees were in physics. And in the course of his life, he had done like all these different things, you know? And so I looked at that, I'm like, Hmm, well, if I major in physics, I'm not locking myself into like one narrow career thing. So 
I did that. But then my university also had a major in astronomy. And to me, that was like where I was getting my space, you know, so I did physics and astronomy to, to get all the space stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I actually Avi Loeb, uh, an astrophysicist from Harvard, he was actually on the show before. Mm -hmm. And we just talked about a bunch of really cool stuff. And he was all about, you know, really trying to find those next generation of uh, astrophysicists, right? And really trying to get them, you know, interested in to the, to whole, to, into the whole uh, field. But like, what are some of the, you know, what are some of the uh, skill sets or some of the uh, industry professions that you feel the future is going to be more in demand of? Well, I think everything, anywhere, we have a demand for people who can program. There's computer programming every, literally everywhere. So I think, you know, if folks are looking, you know, what, what skills should I have is to, to learn how to program. Because um, that kind of leaves you open to any other interest you have. So I, I tell people, you know, I mean, again, if you're interested in astronomy, learn how to program, but do astronomy because there's programming in astronomy. If you are interested in like biomedical stuff, that's awesome, but learn how to program, you know, like have that kind of as a core skill, the way we would have a core skill of reading or understanding math, you know, um, I think programming should be a core skill for anybody. Uh, to that end, I, I don't necessarily recommend that people major directly in computer science, um, unless they are interested fundamentally in the computers themselves, you know, it, to me, it's better learn how to program and learn something, some other thing that you're interested in and then, and do that. But so I, I know this doesn't quite <laughs> answer what you said, but I think just a core skill to anything is programming because you can do from there, anything. Right. Right. So programming. Yeah. I agree with you. But for, but for any other any other science, of course, you know, it's always, you know, easy to say that math is kind of generally obvious if you're going into any kind of science to to pay attention to math. But don't underestimate, you know, reading and writing. Most of my job as an engineer these days is all about communicating, communicating with the written word and communicating to people in meetings. It is, again, crucial, crucial, crucial skill to be able to communicate with my fellow engineers and customers and just everybody. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you too, but like, that's also like more of like public speaking, being able to communicate effectively, mm -hmm. which is a skill set that you have to grow and learn from. Some of us get mm -hmm. it a little bit more natural, but having the ability to win over your stakeholders, having the ability to, you know, get that buy-in is massive in the world. So maybe it's a, maybe it's a hybrid of sales, right? marketing, code, right? Developing, right? Maybe it's also a hybrid of, you know, whatever else you want to like study as far as like uh, the core focus, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, in astronomy or whether it's in, you know, robotics or satellites or, you know, whatever it may be, but having those four or four or five extra components that I mentioned previously. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and people think of, you know, you mentioned public speaking. I know a lot of people will, will think of that as, getting up in a room full of people. And that's not always the, you know, just to make sure people understand that is not always the case. It really could be a meeting of your one of four or five people, but you might be that person amongst those four or five people who really understand, like you might have four people and there's two different things they're talking about or two different sides of an issue that they're talking about. And you might that be that person who's helping them communicate. And that that's actually one of the, the situations I find myself in quite a bit at work is I, I have different groups of people on my team 
and they're coming at a problem from different perspectives and they aren't necessarily seeing each other's side of it. And I'm there to help them do that. Right. You so, kind of yeah, facilitate communicating that. Communicating is important. That. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Communication is very important because if you can't communicate whatever you're trying to build or execute, it really makes it difficult in the workplace to actually do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you, you yeah. can't formulate or, you know, collectively grab and, and embrace that idea to the others, you know, to where it makes sense. And, you know, if you're a bad communicator, it, it kills the whole team effort, right? Collaborations help mm -hmm. ideas execute, right? So mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. That's really massive. But a lot of people don't know that. They don't teach you that in school, that how, how no. important communication is, how important communication there, is. Yeah. They, they, I, I've always heard, you know, there's some lip service paid to it, but I think people don't really appreciate what it's not lip service. It's, it's a real thing, <laughs> especially, you know, most of our work, so much of our work is done over email, written email, you know, having a clear email. I can't tell you how many emails I get that are not clear. Like, what are you, what are you actually asking? You know, you wrote me, you spent time writing an email, but I'm not really sure what you're saying or asking me to do, <laughs> you know, so it, it's really important. No, totally. I, I definitely agree. I mean, that's why there's so many different fields within, you know, even in, in, the, in the tech world where you you have your copywriters, right? People will just focus on actually the writing, you know, that's their expertise, your UX researchers, mm -hmm. those are the people who are, you know, re researching the actual experience, right? You have a bunch of these type of things, then the designers, then you have your project mm -hmm. managers. So, I mean, there's a lot of overlap, but there's certain special skill sets that need to, you know, come together to build like mm -hmm. an actual product. And I think a lot of people really under um they underestimate these things but being able to communicate i think is a core component for any field along yes. with code or whatever it may be mm -hmm. you got to have that yeah. man it's so important man especially with tiktok yeah. going on <laughs> <laughs> but i think to, you know your original question about getting people interested in some of this stuff you know i think you know by just you know watching it happen you know watching all the different space missions that are happening these days it, it's very exciting when james webb launches in a couple months uh you know, it, it's going to be like, it's this generation's Hubble space telescope. When he, when Hubble launched and started taking pictures and, and we started seeing the pictures, that was, that was revolutionary. That was amazing. And I think James Webb is going to be something very, very similar. And I'm hoping things like that is what gets people excited. I'm hoping things like, you know, so SpaceX's recent Inspiration4 mission, that was the one where they had the four people, you know, quote unquote, regular people um, spend a, a few days in, in space in orbit. I mean, Hopefully, hopefully watching missions like that, hopefully following along with NASA's return to the moon, uh, all these things I'm hoping will get people excited about the wide array of space science stuff that's out there. I agree with you. And I think like I was thinking about something just just briefly, too, as well. Once we were, you know, you, you were mentioning all these amazing things. It's like if we're thinking about, you know, extraterrestrials and, you know, we're thinking how far they could possibly be out in technology which most likely, you know, I tend to believe uh, way ahead of us. And you think about, you know, things like, you you know, we just discussed previously, which was like, you know, hey, I haven't seen any, um, you know, no references of them. And it's just like when you're doing something different and you might be so far along in technology, would we be able to detect them, you know, to mm -hmm. an extent? Like, because I think we think of things of, a, a, of, of our way of, of doing things. And that's how we try to, validate you know uh uh things of existence or things mm -hmm. in reality right so for example you know if we say you know flying saucers you know aliens like we need to see something enter our you know enter our our, our planet right passing our ozone layer and coming in right 
But at the same time, if you are a civilization that may be millions or even billions or even thousands of years ahead of us, maybe they don't use spaceships or vehicles the same way we do. Maybe they mm-hmm. have a different technology to where this is just like prehistoric. Sure. Right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've definitely thought along those lines. And, and I also think that, you know, any, if there is any extraterrestrial civilization out there and they are advanced enough to visit us in, in some way, shape or form, um, I, I am boiling this down. I, I am simplifying this a little bit. It's probably not this simple, but I, I see two, two scenarios. One, they either do not want us to know about them like do not, or two, they do. <laughs> and so this is why I don't believe that we've, we've been contacted because, or that there's, there's any chance that some of these quote unquote sightings or anything are actually extraterrestrials because either they want us to know that they're there and they would have made it beyond clear. They wouldn't have just done the, there wouldn't be these little potential blips that have gone away. Or they don't want us to know, in which case we would not have seen a gosh darn thing because they're so advanced, there's no way. <laughs> and, and that's very like black and white. And there's probably like a lot of ways to pick that apart. And I've done that in my own head um, too. But it, it's kind of why I think that if they are out there, we have no indication that they are. Not or, yet. Or, or maybe, or maybe Adina, maybe, maybe also, I mean, and we can go on about those, of course, right? But also maybe Adina, maybe it's, Maybe they maybe it's funner just to observe and watch, and maybe mm-hmm. it's maybe it's funner just to you know not disturb things right and and not to cause havoc because when you think about humans and if you study them long enough or if you had some type of like intermingling with them throughout their history of growth, do you come mm-hmm. in and just say, "Hey, look, we're here, we created you, and it disrupts the whole vibe and energy of all these people. People start going, you know they, you, imagine. Humans they have a prime directive, de- like in Star Trek. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe imagine humans declaring that, you know, or, or, or us all, you know, saying, hey, look, aliens exist. And we all see mm-hmm. them and, and they're coming down to the White House. What would happen to our culture? Oh, it'd be chaos. Yeah. What happens to religion? <laughs> Today it would be chaos. What happens to religion? Mm-hmm. How many suicides do we have? How many people depressed? How many people going to work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just it, to me. It would disrupt everyone. Look what COVID did. How many mm-hmm. people quit their job? <laughs> now we want to bring aliens, and you know, and they want to come in and say, "Hey, guys, we exist." And there's actually mm-hmm. millions of us more. Mm, if you're an extraterrestrial, you know, civilization that's highly intelligent, you might know that you just can't do it that way. Mm-hmm. It's just like busting in a wedding and saying, "Hey, look, I, I hooked up with five other guys before I'm going to marry you. Are you cool?" Do you need mm-hmm. to know that? I don't know if that's something right. you want to intersect. You might have to just hide certain things and, and, and play a, on a, a level of which humans can tolerate, which may be mm-hmm. through manipulation, you know, um, coming down and, and helping certain influencing certain events on you know earth and only interacting with certain individuals, supporting certain individuals, you know, pushing things into certain individuals to help them reach height, heightness or, or spirituality or whatever it may be. Maybe it just might be just fun to watch this like freaking TV. Right. Maybe I'm bored and my reality TV is people. <laughs> maybe I'm freaking bored. I mean, is it too far to think that, that maybe we just might be a good TV station? It's possible. Truman I feel like show? that, that <laughs> I feel like that was like a Futurama episode, but Truman um, show did it too. Yeah. Right. Oh, that, 
Well, yeah, yes, humans watching, yeah, humans watching humans. But I feel like in in Futurama, there might have been like extraterrestrials watching us, our reality show. But wouldn't that be but awesome? That reminds me, there. Hmm? But wouldn't I mean? Wouldn't that be awesome? And wouldn't that be something like entertainment? Like our our form of entertainment, we're just now getting to reality TV, right? Mm-hmm. In the past ten some odd years, right? Right. Or, or MTV first started it out and start trying some things off twenty years ago, per se. But really, it kicked in within the last ten years. So imagine a, a civilization to where we just get at a point where it's just like we're bored. Maybe we just want to watch other things we might manipulate or create and see how it works and do some things every once in a while to check in on them and you know, but not go ahead and just crash the party. Then we lose the whole entertainment value. Yeah. Or they kill themselves. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just don't think that I don't think aliens could actually do what we want them to do. If they're really intelligent and smart, I don't think they would. Oh, do no, that. no. Yeah, there, there is no way we would have any, again, it, for a civilization that's advanced enough to interact with it, to come here and interact with us, we, we had no control over. And we wouldn't be able, would I just think we wouldn't be able to hand them, handle them emotionally, mentally, spiritually right now. We're just not there. Yeah. So maybe there's, a point, a, yeah. maybe there's a point in life or in existence to where we reach a certain level of technology where they say, okay, I think they're safe now. We can talk mm-hmm. to them, you know, or maybe there's never mm-hmm. any attentions to really just letting them all know, but play little mm-hmm. games. Maybe it's fun, you know, like your mm-hmm. little brother or your little sister playing games on you and pranking you as a kid. Maybe it's just freaking fun. Hey, let's go out and visit. Yeah. Them. Hey, hey, Charlie, we're here. Oops, we don't exist. And the, oh, did you? I saw I saw aliens. And you're like, nobody saw them, dude. You're crazy. <laughs> no, I really did. They came in there. They wanted to have kids with me. Really? Okay. <laughs> And they're just laughing on the side, like, yeah, did you see what happened? Yeah, that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think we think too hard about aliens, and I think we think of it in a way too much like how humans would think things would go down. And it may just be a more simplistic um, view of things or a more complicated view of things than what we're thinking of, you know? Sure. Well, we only have ourselves to to model after, right, until we actually someday meet extraterrestrials and know what they are actually like, yeah, we don't have anything else to go on but ourselves. But specifically, so, if we yeah. meet extraterrestrials as a whole, not to one or four or five or a certain sure, set of people. Sure, sure, sure. Because nobody's going to believe it, right? It doesn't exist until everybody agrees. Just because people don't agree doesn't mean it doesn't exist. <laughs> You're right. But to us, like, for example, mm-hmm. those people who said they have, you know, been visited. We don't agree that that's a fact because we sure. haven't all okay. agreed I, yes, on that. that. That is that is true. So we don't know. We don't know. Facts are based on a, a group of you know a large group of people agreeing to some extent. Even though that's not one hundred percent truth, that's how we yeah. kind of like that's how we solidify facts. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole concept of I mean, yes, I, I agree with that. But in the cases of the the people claiming that. You know, they've had contact. Yeah, we, we just can't verify. So we, we can't verify their assertion. Right. You know, so, so that's kind of the problem. That doesn't mean, so it is, and, and again, I, I don't, I'm not the person who's going to tell them that they're, you know, they're wrong or, or they didn't because I, I don't know because I, I don't know. You know, it's one of those things that something happened or it didn't, right? That there is truth there, whether or not we know the truth. Those are, those are two different, two different things. Right. And I just, I just think it's just something. It's something that I think that they wouldn't directly come about and just start telling us all collectively. Mm-hmm. Like I think Elon Musk, he had said one thing 
on one. Uh, I'm going to bring him up again, but I think he said something on a Joe Rogan podcast uh, recently where he said, you know, if aliens exist, they're very subtle. You know, he's like, they're, they're, they're really subtle. They're very, they're very subtle. You know, if they want us to know that we're here, all they have to do is just, you know, come in, you know, Times Square or, what, or whatnot, right? And just say, hey, look, we're here. But I think that's a naive way of thinking of it because, like, would, would, a, would a complex civilization just do that? Why would they do that? Mm-hmm. They know that would just destroy the fabric of humans would not be able to handle it. We can't hear the well, COVID. Right. That's why we, we, we don't. We don't know. That's why there is the chances that there is another civilization out there that has the capability to come here, found out that we're here, and then came here, I think is very, very small. Like, I'm, I'm convinced that there is other intelligent life in the universe, but the chance that there's other intelligent life that has all those other things, that has, you know, that is advanced enough, that has found us, and that has come here, you know, like, very, 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 very small chance. But that's all opinion. I, again, I have nothing to you know base that on other than opinion. Right. And I think that's the magic of if you are an extraterrestrial is to keep that mystery there. It just makes you, you know. <laughs> For now, until we're ready. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to be known. Like, I wouldn't want to be known mm-hmm. by people. If you're smart enough to know people and you Today, see what we've yeah. done historically in our past. Yeah. And yes. if you had some contribution to that and you know that we believe in Earth. I mean, we believe in God. We believe in all these things that we believe in. And you come and disrupt that in any way, like that just wouldn't be helpful for humans. I just don't mm-hmm. think the mental health can handle it. And I think they would be mm-hmm. smart enough to know that we're not able to, to handle something like that. you can't handle the Maybe. truth. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. There was a there was a wonderful science fiction book I read a few years ago by John Scalzi called Agent to the Stars. Yeah. And it was about aliens uh, recognizing, you know, that they, they wanted to be introduced, they wanted to meet us, but they recognized that that was going to be very challenging, so they hired a, a Hollywood agent to help assist with their introduction to humanity. It was, it's it's a real real fun story. That is hilarious. That looks like a great fictional book that could be added mm-hmm. to the whole catalog. Of robots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, again, John Scalzi he wrote it, not me. It was great. It came out like 10, 12 years ago. It's called Asian to the Stars. Yeah. No, yeah. not mine. <laughs> if I, I mean, there should be a book called If I Was an Alien, What Would I Do? Mm-hmm. You know, like a hypothetical, it, it, you know, not something that everybody does as typical because I feel like everybody comes into this whole alien thing as a typical perspective. Oh, if they're real, why don't they just show us? Okay. That mm-hmm. just, that is, that's not a critical thinking way of, th- of doing things. Of, of like, there's a lot of like pros and cons of, of, of just showing yourself to a bunch of humans. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the reasoning would be and, and what, and what role did they have in the history with humans, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know what, how they kind of operate. We don't know any of that stuff, but if they right, we exist. Know, we know absolutely nothing. And if they exist, they would know obviously how we operate most likely better than we would. Well, maybe again, maybe. we don't know if, if they're so different, we don't know would it really truly be even possible to understand another species? That's crazy. Like we don't know, like you know, cause again, we, we, we still think of things very, you know, similar to ourselves. And so we still imagine, you know, an alien species to be very similar to ourselves. If they're similar, we could probably figure each other out, but if they're so different, maybe, maybe we will never figure each other out. Maybe they don't understand us. They won't understand us. You know, we, we don't, we don't, and we don't, we don't know. <laughs> the space is wide open for all these possibilities. Sounds like a great song. The space is wide open. Yeah. Um, no, I, I told, I, I agree with you, Adina. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's totally, there's a bunch of stuff to think about that. I just think when, when we come up to these debating, you know, scenarios, we typically come up with these, 
you know, these, these, these blanket statements of, oh, well, you know, if they exist, why don't they just show us themselves? Like, mm-hmm. like, it's really like, why would they just do mm-hmm. that? Like, mm-hmm. if, if you are if something they, of that existing of that type, why would you just show yourself if it yeah. was that easy? Well, I, I would know. say if, why doesn't the government existed, just tell us all the secrets? Well, <laughs> why doesn't sure. the government just tell us about the, the, you know, the war on drugs? Like, why don't they just tell us mm-hmm. about, you know, a bunch of stuff in history? Why, why does the upper elite hide so much stuff in history and, you know, and, and, and have done so since the beginning of time? Why do they do these things? Why do they create these manipulating structures like race? Why does colonialism mm-hmm. exist? Why, did, why was that even created? It had some, some logic that was well thought out by groups of elites and said, hey, you know what? I'm bored. Why don't I just make up something called race well, and just choose people based off of certain phenotypes? I'm bored. Human logic. So, I mean, we're talking again, human it's logic hard again. to compare. Yes. Right. This is all human logic. We, we have no idea if alien logic would even think like that. Yeah. We don't know. That's true. That's deep. Yeah. But I the think only, the only part of that that I am, I'm certain of is if they exist, if they have the technology to come here, if they found us, if they've been here, if at that point they wanted to be known and say, hey, here we are, they would or they would have. And I agree on but that. But there's a lot of ifs to get there. Oh, yeah. I agree on that. And I just think there's so many different ifs, like you said, to to get there. And I just think mm-hmm. that's where we should always stay, a gray a gray area, mm-hmm. you know, a gray area of possibility. And a gray area was like, nah, dismissal. It doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. But in the middle. Until we know. Until, Until we, we know. know more. Until we know. Well, that's great. Thank you for coming on the show. I had a fun time. So is there anything that you want to direct, you know, some of the people listen to the podcast to directly on your behalf? Like book? Well, What's going sure. On? If if you like science fiction, particularly if you like humor science fiction, check out my book, Crazy Foolish Robots on Amazon. It's uh while it's young adult accessible, it's not necessarily just for young adults, it's for anyone who likes humorous science fiction, likes to read about robots. And why did you write the book again? Oh, gosh, because I love robots, because I love science fiction, because I wanted to, because I, I have to write, because <laughs> I have to do it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. The Terminator, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, thanks again for coming on the show. Just hang thanks on for, for a second. Me. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. It was fun talking to you. Um, just hang on for a second. We got to make sure everything is uploaded on both sides. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the Kids in the Room podcast. The Kids in the Room podcast. That's right. That's right. Brought to you by Move Faces TV. Let's go.